What's the matter? Maybe it was my gate turning you off. I'll deal with that later. Your gate? What is that? I had a gate on your audio. Oh, is that like a plug-in thing? Yeah, like so it you know turns you down when you get really quiet. Oh. You're going to need more than a gate to contain me, mister. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 31 of On Taking Pictures. This is our 31st episode. I like 31. It was a good year yeah. for me. What, what? I don't even remember it. Well, I think Nixon was president when you were 31. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, hey, this is On Taking Pictures, despite what you may think. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the art and science of making images. Uh, we're here each and every week, give or take a day or so. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Sidoris. I'm from FadedAndBlurred.com. And with me, my favorite fancy photographer, Bill Wadman. How you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing well. I'm Excellent. Doing well. We, we have a yeah. huge list of things to do today. It is a big, big show. So no dilly-dallying, none of that normal <laughs> stuff that no you try to pull. No foolery or yeah. shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> Lollygagging. <laughs> none of that. Um, yeah, let's get right to it. Okay. Uh, um, what do you want to talk about? Well, okay. Last week, my jealousy that you got to go see Marowitz. Well, that's that's what I was going to say. Last week, well, two things. One, <laughs> last week our photographer of the week was Joel Marowitz, uh, street photographer, fantastic street photographer uh, from the '60s, '70s. He's still alive. He's you know monster, and he uh, has a show right now at uh, the Howard Greenberg Gallery here in New York. In fact, well, I had never heard of, but after you telling me about it, they, pretty much anybody who is anybody, they represent, yes? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. He's yeah. like, he's the guy. Yeah. Um, including our good friend, Saul Leiter. Yes, uh, Saul. Hello, Saul, if you're listening. Um, so we, uh, Heather and I went over there and saw the show. It's Part one is right now. Part two is uh, in December. So what's it, the difference in the two? How, what is part one versus part two? I think he's just cutting it in half because there was so much stuff. Ah, okay. So I don't think it was like a big. I don't. I don't know that it's necessarily a big uh, uh, thematic change, but uh, some great stuff there. Uh, it, some is black and white stuff. Some is color stuff. Obviously, uh, interestingly. But the reason I bring this up is one, prints are really expensive. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes they are. Th- these are 11 by 14 prints in not terribly tiny editions and they are 6 7 8000 a piece. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. It's it's good to be a fancy photographer. <laughs> An actual real fancy An, photographer, a real not fancy me. Fit- <laughs> Um, yeah, but there must be something cool to, I mean, cause you and I've talked about printing quite a bit. There, there's something amazing about seeing a 40 by 60 photograph, right? Yeah. I mean, doesn't it take on a different life? Were, it does. But most of these were very, very small. Like, I mean, literally 11 by 14. Okay. And, uh, inkjet prints. Oh, really? Yep. They were, they were archival pigment prints, which okay. you know, means so they're inkjets. printing them on like an Epson 9500 or something. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so that was interesting. They also, in the other room, which is what you're referring to, which I was telling you about, was uh, this great photograph of his. What does it say on the on the sign? Because that's what it's called. Is it Dairyland? Dairyland. Yeah. Um, which is a picture of like outside of sort of a um, roadside sort of ice cream hamburger joint. 
Right. Uh, at, at dusk, I think, probably. But at the perfect moment. Yeah. So the sky is is pink and blue and, and, and the lights are on, but everything's kind of equalized right between the two. Uh, it's a beautiful shot. Uh, most likely shot on an 8x10 considering the size of this print. So there was a print there that was maybe 40 by 60 inches. It was big, you know, five, five, five six feet across. Um, and it was beautiful. That one was 35000 so I, I, I don't think I can afford that one. No, we could, uh, maybe we could go in on it together. <laughs> yeah, let's just take let's, we'll take donations. You could go to ontakingpictures.com right. and tip us over on the right hand side. Right. Hashtag Meyerowitz print. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we, we, yeah, everyone's just got to give a few bucks and we'll get there. Um, yeah, but uh, really, just cool again seeing prints at, in reality instead of just a book. It just changes the way you do it. You know. Did they have an opening, like an opening night where he was there doing like a Q&A or anything? Well, funny enough, there is an upcoming Q&A with him, I think on the 13th, and you have to RSVP. And actually, I, I was, I've been meaning to do that. And there's like limited space and he's going to give, come give a talk. Oh, yeah, you should go. Yeah, it's on like a Thursday evening or something. Uh, so uh, Heather and I were going to go check that out. So anyway, uh, Joel Meyerowitz was very, very cool to see his stuff in person. I'm sure I'll say more if I see him again. Uh, we'd also like to point out that a uh, friend of the show, Iberian X Perello's show, uh, the, Candid the Candid Frame, Frame. Yep. big, big photography podcast, uh, which I've been a guest on, uh, is uh, th- there, his guest this week was none other than Joel Meyerowitz. So if you want to go listen to Joel talk, you can do that over on The Candid Frame, which yeah. is a very good show. He's got some great stories. Yeah. He, he, well, I'm, I'm sure. He's been yeah. around a long, long time. He speaks really well, too. He, they interview him a lot in that uh, Genius of Photography mm-hmm. thing. Which is, yeah, uh, we should mention that again. Uh, yeah. BBC show. Which, if you haven't seen, go find it. I think a lot of it's on YouTube and stuff if you search enough. Mm-hmm. It's not super high res or whatever, but it's fine to get the idea. You know, if you really want it, I'm sure you can order DVDs or something. Yeah. Uh, you can order through the BBC shop, but definitely worth the six hours. Oh yeah. It's fantastic. Especially if, if, if you're into the older sort of pioneer photographers or classic photographers, there's a lot of information there on, on the early days of photography and how, how this, all this sort of came to be. Yeah, absolutely. Tons and tons and tons of good stuff. But, uh, Mm. But yeah, Candid Frame. So go back and watch all of that stuff because it's good history lesson. Yes. A lot of people like the like the uh, when we do older photographers of the week, people they don't really know necessarily. We do seem to get more email about the older photographers. So you I know, think we're would, gonna, we'll do another yeah. one today. Good. Screw these guys who are still alive. <laughs> uh, There's I, still time for you. Yeah, I would like to say that I, I kind of peeked into the back room of the gallery. There's like all these shelves full of print boxes. And I, and, and I love the one you sent. Oh yeah. Well, the I saw lighter. the saw lighter one, but th- there's actually there's some on the wall that are like Man Ray. And you're like, "What? Like there's Man Ray prints in that box? Who's uh, coming in here buying Man Ray prints?" Yeah. Uh that's People the heist with lots of cash money. If I was going to, you know, do a heist, I think that's where I'd go. Yeah, or if I won the lotto or something. I mean, screw buying cars. Yeah, I, I would. I Go would there buy low hundred fifty grand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Probably appreciate over time. I still go on to get that Joel Meyerowitz book, the two volume set. Yeah, it's beautiful. Hey, uh, 
I have a couple of little announcements and requests to make of our listeners, if I may. Yeah, please. Uh, So last December, I did a daily portrait project where I took, I was doing, you know, a portrait a day for the month of December. Most, they were sort of conceptually kind of portraits, you know, lit the whole nine yards. Um, I'm going to do it again this December and I, I need subjects. And same I, type of thing or yep, what, what same, direction? Same you? type okay. of thing. Um, okay. So if you are in the New York area or in the D.C. area on, uh, let's see, the 20th to the 23rd, I think, uh, let me know because uh, I need people. So if you go to ontakingpictures.com and look down uh, in the last couple of posts, there's a call for uh, for subjects and, and what you need to do. You got to send me a picture and blah, blah, blah uh, to my email. And I would love to have a big pool of people. So if you are, are live in New York area or you know somebody who lives in the New York area, have uh, send them over, and uh, we're going to take some pictures. Because uh, I, you know, you, I need a good pool of subjects. That's the hardest part about doing photography, like I do. You've got locations and everything that you already know what you're going to do. Oh, I don't know all thirty of them, but see, that's the other thing. Part of it is that. Some people come to me and they're like, oh, you know, I have access to this theater or I you mm-hmm. know, can do that kind of thing. And that makes it even better. You know, sure. Takes um, you in a different direction. There's a guy down uh, who I think listens to the show uh, who uh, is down in Virginia and uh, runs a eight or ten car like auto mechanic garage. Mm. And he says I, we, I could shoot him there. And like we that can set it cool. all up and like have like you know things up on uh, yeah you on got lifts the lift and, things. and everything yeah, yeah sure so I thought I thought that'd be amazing uh, so we're gonna try that kind of stuff so anybody let me know uh, bill at billwadman if you want to send me an email with that stuff but uh, go take out just che- uh, go check out the blog on takingpictures.com. you could see a, a thing for that and secondly one last thing no this is this one's really cool too I, I'm 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 putting in for a for a fellowship. And uh, I don't want to give any more details at the moment, but as part of the fellowship, I require two references that I am good at what I do and whatnot. And uh, the, the fancier the person the references are from, the better for me. So if anyone out there listening likes my work and happens to be some big wig at a gallery or a museum or a uh, big art magazine or that kind of thing, and uh, wouldn't mind writing a reference in the next few days, uh, let me know because I would love to uh, get a few people to help me out. Uh, How can they let you know? Where should they, yeah, where send should they me contact? Send me an email again at bill at billwadman.com. Yeah, okay. And, uh, and, and I would appreciate that. So that's and, that. And just know that if, if you do get this fellowship thing, it, the, the project will be really, really cool. Yeah, it will. Yeah. It, it will? Well, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> Anyway, enough with my babbling. Enough with Bill. Yeah. And his thing. What do you got next? Well, actually, we got we to gotta do one more thing about you. You made a movie with, with Claude. Okay, I was involved in making a movie with Claude, yeah. Okay, you, you were on the crew, yeah, with Claude. Yeah. Uh, so I, my friend Claude makes movies. And uh, he, he wanted to make this short film. And... So he got his friend Cy and and our uh, friend Amy to basically have a big giant knockdown drag out fight over the course of you know three different rooms and four different scenes. Um, that's going to get cut down to like a ten minute film, but over the course of like eight hours, 
uh, we shot this movie at a friend's apartment uh, on Sunday. And it was just interesting because I've never used my digital SLR for video, really. I mean, I've, you know, I've turned it on and I've clicked and I've done the things for uh, Zay Frank and, you know, I've done that kind of stuff, but I've never actually used it to try to actually do something with video. Right. Never create some sort of narrative or or anything like that. Okay. So it was my first time doing any of that stuff. And we shot, you know, tons and tons of footage and, and, and he, and Claude's cutting it all together, but it, man, making movies is kind of fun. But very time-consuming. <laughs> but but this has, has kind of maybe sparked something to go in a different direction for you? Yeah. And that kind of worries me. <laughs> Unleash? You can't put it back in the box? <laughs> Tiger's back in the cage. Get out of the cage, man. Uh, my... Okay, for, first of all, because I'm, I'm really interested in, in DSLR video and the process because the process is very different than stills. Yeah. Yeah. A bit. Yeah. So when, when you're on set and you're shooting, uh, are you able to, from a stills photographer standpoint, are you, are you able to see things that you can do in motion that you maybe can't do as well in stills? Is that, is that what's exciting to you or what's exciting from going from stills motion for you for me i find it more interesting trying to make essentially a moving picture Mm -hmm. so there are scenes where the two of them were coming in the front door in their kitchen or whatever um i found it interesting to try to find an angle that looked like an interesting photograph of the room and the fact that they were moving through it you see what i'm saying sort of like a, a merger between stills and motion um it's hard moving cameras, especially with real high end, you know, with, with high def and, and short depth of field gets to be tricky, mm-hmm. uh, which is why Claude is a, is a, is a, um, uh, steady cam operator. So for some of the shots he was playing, I left late at night, but they were going to do a couple more shots where Claude got a steady cam gear on, uh, where, you know, he could follow them upstairs or down the hallway really smoothly right. and that kind of stuff. And, and he's got like the serious, like full body steady yeah, cam. Yeah, he had for the yeah. shoot. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is kind of crazy with you know a five D three on the end. You know, it was <laughs> it was kind of funny and a fourteen millimeter lens. Wow, that's really wide. Yeah, uh, it was it was interesting. The things that frustrated me were the ability to or inability to really tell what was in focus on the screen sometimes because mm-hmm. it's just not high res enough to really know. And right. if people are moving in and out of field and, and you are working with the available light in the room, so you're at 3200 ISO at a 50th of a second at F3.5 or F4, maybe, uh, it's pretty short depth of field, you know? So people are moving around and they're fighting and they're going in and out of thing and you're trying to, you're trying to pull focus uh, when you can. But it's, it's, it's all just a game, you know? So when you watch movies where... They are ha- where this kind of stuff happens. There's a lot, you know, I watched, um, we had that projector and stuff set up for Thanksgiving. Right. So this weekend we watched, uh, Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. uh, an HD rip of it. And it was good, but a lot of scenes, they were out of focus, you know, I mean, or something was in focus. It was like, oh, look, his shoulders in focus, but his face isn't. Um, mm. And you kind of think, wow, this movie had four hundred million dollars behind it, or whatever the hell it you know cost to make at the time. Right. You'd think that they had would have better 
you know, that things would have been in focus. And then you start making even just little stupid short films in your friend's apartment. And you go, wow, this is really hard. You know, yeah, because people are moving and you can't really tell when it was on film. It was even harder because, you know, the person pulling focus wasn't looking through the lens, you know, all that kind right. of stuff. Um, now, from a technical standpoint, um, if we can kind of sure. gear, gear out for a minute, uh, you're you're such a, a particular lighter the way you light your photos a lot of times. Yeah. Is how how do you do approach that yeah how do you approach that and how do you how do you sort of reconcile trying to make moving basically moving pictures that you would normally make in your stills work how, can you even recreate that in motion um do you, do you understand what i'm you saying you can although we didn't so much right um mm-hmm. Well, first of all, you know, Claude and I were both shooting and he was in charge. So I was, if anything, trying to like take up the slack of anything that he didn't want, you know, if we couldn't be in the same place at the same time, oh, I'll go over there, you know, that sure. kind of thing. Sure. Um, but, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the shots that he wanted to get, he was getting himself and I was trying to find some other alternate shot, you know, that could right, be interesting. Right. Um, I guess what I'm what I'm asking it, 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 is but the, the lighting you if you had a bigger room or you had a set where you could get lights up in the corners and that sure. kind of stuff you could light it much more dramatically. Okay. I, that's that's kind of what I'm getting. We, at. Could, we were using light available lighting. Yeah, you could. Um and in fact I think it works really well. I mean there's plenty of movies that look like paintings, you know, look at mm-hmm. Amelie or you know these kinds of things. Sure. Um for for our purposes we were working with ceiling lamps you know and and, right. and and that kind of stuff and and the light wasn't beautiful light most of the time although a couple times like the light was really harsh and i happen to have a diffuser on me and we kind of jury-rigged a diffuser up over a light and ended up being like a little soft box that kind of thing mm-hmm. I mean, you could do that kind of stuff i think if if i were doing it entirely me i probably would have i would have gotten lights and lit the place more so then you could have more latitude in depth of field and and iso and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so you could lower down to 800 and then be able to drop to to stop down to f8 or whatever so that we, you could guarantee that a little more was in focus when you wanted it to be okay um yeah you were saying something about even just bouncing some lights off the ceiling just to kind of give a, a better ambience. Yeah, would, and we did helped. that in one of the rooms and, and you know, it helped a lot. But it was also like then you got to worry about color temperature. I mean, there's, you know, all the normal things you worry about in still photography, you're still doing in video. Sure. It's just this stuff's moving through them, you know. Um, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a very interesting thing for me because I've never done it before. And here I am, you know, thrown into it and it was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I have an idea for one of my own. So I gotta, I, I'm going to work on a script with a friend of mine who's a, who's a writer. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We were talking about this. The, the barrier of entry is almost more dramatic on the film side than it is on the still side. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know? I mean, you could, we, I mean, Claude was saying that if we wanted to do this and in, in, I think he was saying like super 16, the, the, just the cost of the cameras and the film and the processing and the, the audio back in the day, it was just, it was exorbitant. It was just nuts. And now for $5,000, I mean, we were recording the audio with a couple little Zoom recorders mm-hmm. and a couple lav mics, you know, uh, on these people like hidden underneath the edge of their clothes. And they had them in their pockets. And we just let those recorders run for the four hours we were filming. Wow. So, you know, just hit record, just leave it there. Right. And then Claude was going to go in 
drop that audio into say Premiere or whatever it is or Final Cut or whatever he was using. And then you could drop the video in and the video has audio of the on-camera mics and there's software that'll go line up the video to wherever in the audio stream it is. So what you end up with is four audio streams, two of which are incomplete because they're with the video, you know, but all lined up together so that you can then go and cut out all the places where there is no video and you have the audio and the video all lined up perfectly. Wow. Um, I mean, you have a four hour timeline, <laughs> which, sure. but you know, you could quickly cut that down, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, this region is the fight in the living room. Okay. Well, I'll work on that next. And you know, right. Right. Um, well, and especially for somebody who does this all the time, it's, it's a yeah. lot less time consuming. Yeah, and, and a lot of that stuff is, you know, Oh, these are close ups for whatever. Okay. Well then I'll take those and move those into another, you know, we're going to cut between those different cameras you know, mm-hmm. for, for a similar kind of fight and that kind of stuff. It was, it was, it was a very cool thing. If only to see with a process that, so now I can try doing some of the stuff myself. I don't know. Well, and that, that's kind of the thing is you, you've stepped out of your own comfort zone and yeah, that's, definitely. that's led you on potentially a different path that may become a new body of work or, or at least an, I, a new, a new addition to your body of work. I think it could be interesting from the point of view of clients who say, Want, oh, can you do video too? You know, there's always that question. Mm-hmm. And if, if even if I said, yeah, sure, I can do video, they'd say, well, can I see something? It would be nice to be able to say, okay, here's a couple short films that I worked on. Right, you know, right. To show that I have some video chops or whatever. Um, so I mean, that it could be fun in that way. I don't think I'm going to be the guy who's doing the, you know, the the uh, the uh, Warhol-esque 30-second moving portraits, that stuff. Right. I think that stuff's a fad. Uh, I, I, I don't. It's like, okay, look, you zoomed in on Tom Hanks while he was sitting there smoking a cigarette or whatever it is, right? <laughs> like, and, you know, okay, do I really need to see that again? Where there's what? portraits I've looked at a hundred times. Right. You know, I'm not going to look at that a hundred times. Right. Um, I just don't, it, for some reason, there's a different thing when you, when you freeze, when you freeze motion in a single image in a single frame you you put a lot of the onus on the viewer sure and well that's that's isn't that kind of the job yeah there it is and so when you when you have a few seconds of somebody sitting there even though i guess it maybe may it could perhaps give them a a, a greater a greater amount of reality I think that it somehow detracts from the idea of a portrait. I, 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 for some reason, it it's like it's too much information. Okay, that makes sense. Sure. I don't know. That's just sometimes I think I, that way. I, I, I don't – see, I get stuck on those little things, the lack of context. Yeah, well, a lot of times I, I get in stuck on you blah, know, blah, blah, blah. What am I supposed to take away from this? Yeah. What, what, where is this going? Whereas I can get – almost more out of say like a Dan Winters portrait. Well, you know, where it's, he's, he's the man. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it's lit very cinematically and, and there's this, there is this drama in that single image that on a lot of levels makes more of an impact on me. I like that idea. You know, yeah. I mean, to go, to go back to Tom Hanks, that, that, that fantastic shot of him in like the peacoat, yeah. you know, where it's, it's just, beautifully lit and and i've made up you know several stories of what's going on there and they're each different but i keep looking at it 
and it's still interesting to me. Yeah. Whereas if it's, you know, Tom Hanks smoking a cigarette in this little, you know, 30 second clip, I'm more often than not, I'll be left with, oh, look, there's Tom Hanks smoking a cigarette. Right. And you that's my mean? problem with them. And although it's interesting because I forget what her name is. Kathy something or rather. She's the New York Times magazine photo editor or photo director or whatever. Kathy Ryan. Yeah. Um, I saw an interview with her recently and she was saying, you know, look at all this innovative work we've done for the magazine this year, blah, 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 including like one thing I think was really fantastic were these moving portraits because they did some of those Mm -hmm. for some kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, they're neat from like, oh, that's a neat idea. But it's like, eh, it's not really a new idea. I mean, that, that stuff has been done. It's easier to do and we can do it higher quality nowadays. Right. But st- does it really still, does it make it, is it interesting? We should put, uh, we're, we're, those were the ones that were on the Lens blog where they yeah. did all, all the different actors. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we can put those up and okay. see. I mean, because, yeah, they were interesting. The one where, I forget who it was, was flipping over the table. Yeah, and- I mean, they were beautifully done. I just don't know where, where do they lead, you know? Right. Um, right. And where and where do they live? What are you supposed to do with them? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the problem with video stuff in general. It's like unless you have a computer, you know, or, or some sort of screen, it's not like you can't print out a moving portrait, you know? You can't look at it in a book. Um, I mean, hey, maybe books are going away, and I'm a big jamoke. You shut but... your mouth. Don't say that. Uh, hey, uh, <laughs> you know, the one thing that was interesting about doing the video uh was that you could make you could come up with i working on that thing for four hours and and doing similar stuff and walking through this room it it kind of reminded me of the idea the the concept that ideas lead to ideas right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that somebody says i don't know what to do you know like i don't know what to make I don't know what to do next. A lot of times doing anything will lead to something you want to do. Even if you don't know what you want to do now, do something you don't want to do and it may lead to something you want to do. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, so sure, sure. We were filming and there's a scene where the guy goes in and he you know, throws his coat down and he goes and opens the fridge and grabs a beer and sits down at the table, opens the beer, starts sipping, right? And you know, I, we were sitting there and I looked at Claude and I like smiled a little bit and I said, hey, Claude, small camera, big fridge. And, he, and and so we ended up sticking a camera in the fridge and getting that shot of the door opening and the light coming on and the guy grabbing right. the beer. And yeah, that, that shot has been done a million times before, but most of the time it's done in the movies, they cut a fridge in half to do it. Right. There's a big practical prop fridge. Yeah. You know, where nowadays you could just stick the camera in the fridge for 30 seconds. Right. And, you know, hit, hit go, go record, stick it in the fridge, close the door and go, okay, do that a few times. Um, it, but like ideas like that came up or, you know, I decided to, I was like, Hey, I want to go outside and shoot this scene that we've done a couple of times, shoot them coming in the door and doing the whole thing from outside the window, you know, a sort of a voyeuristic kind of thing right. from the outside right. through like a portal. You know what? It, it worked and it looked kind of cool. So, you, you know, you come up with these things that you wouldn't have thought of before that you could do. I don't know. It's just kind of, it's, it's kind of neat how, how fast things can move, especially now with digital video that you couldn't do with film, right? Like I can just take that camera and go, no, 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 lay back down and stick the camera up with one hand over the top of them and that kind of stuff, you know? Right. Right. Um, so I think that the, the, the takeaway from this is that 
it's the same with stills, which is why doing this stuff in December, I have no idea what I'm going to do each day during December. I think I have two or three that I have ideas for, and I don't necessarily have people for them. You know, I but think isn't I, that, that's kind of the exciting thing for you right. is, is you're doing this one shoot and you go, oh, my gosh, you know what I would have what I'd like to do or what I should have done or could have done. Yes. You know, and that inspires you to go do something else. Yeah. Well, you know what that is? That's it's 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 live. It's, it's sort of art on a tightrope. Right. Mm-hmm. I have to produce a thing today. Maybe not all of them are going to be good, but some of them are going to be good. And even the ones that aren't good might make me go, oh, this one didn't work out, but I totally have a good idea for tomorrow or for next Tuesday when I'm taking pictures of Joe. Right. Uh, or if, if only I had a location X. So then you put out a call and you go, hey, does anybody have location X? Exactly. You know, yeah. and, and, and that kind of stuff is really handy. And do, put it, putting yourself out there, like doing these sort of daily things or what have you, uh, I mean, that it, it's it's. For a lot of people, it's terrifying. There's the whole fear of failure thing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, sh- so what's what's more terrifying for you in in terms of is it is it long haul creative projects or short term? I guess what I'm getting at the the 365 project. You know, you've got a year that you've got to do this. Yeah, but you've also that's got a, a year. Yeah, but you've got a year to iron out the kinks. You've got a year to go, well, if if January didn't work out so well, I've got February, March, April, you know what I mean? You Whereas do. this, you've only got 30 shots at it. You do. Um, the, the difference is is that, say, in, when you're doing over a course of a year, you also have the question of, okay, the more days that I don't succeed, is it might be a day that somebody who comes and looks at the project – see some crappy picture and doesn't come back. Okay. And that's, that's the opinion they form on the entirety of the project. Right. Okay. So, so there's that fear. So it may be that, yeah, maybe January doesn't go great, but that's less, that's almost the continuum between January and December in a, you know, between month one and month 12, that kind of thing that's going to naturally occur. Mm-hmm. You're going to change. You're going to get better. You're going to, you know, all those things, you're going to become more refined over the course of a year of doing anything. Sure. The, the bigger the bigger question mark the one that worries me more is the day to day to day the consistency issue and there there will be times in the beginning of something where you will do really crappy stuff one day and the really amazing stuff the next day the 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 idea the the best is if the best case scenario is if the floor comes to meet your feet mhm you know okay if if your worst stuff gets to be okay right you know, that's what you want. You want your good stuff to be great or you want your good stuff to be great. You want your bad stuff to be okay or good. Right. You know, well, there, you know, for there, there are a couple of things that work here, at least for me, there, there's obviously the fear of failure, the fear that, it, that the entire project is just going to fall flat and it's not going to work. And that's something that I think everybody deals with. Um, but then there's also the fear of succeeding because the success for me, I then have to reproduce it. So then it gets me back to the fear of failing. Yeah, but isn't that two steps further down the line? It is, but that's where I end up. I guess my, my problem with that kind of thinking is that if you're already beat before you even step off 
if before you even get on the track then then you're going to you're going to have there will be trials there will be bad times there will be times you fail but if you it's sort of the only thing you have to fear is fear itself right you know if right. if you've already if you've already lost the race cuz you think you're going to lose well then you're never going to win Sure, but but that's that's the paralysis that I sometimes. You know, the paralysis. Find that, my, no, I get there too. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm immune to this. What's what's the quote? It's it's not the it's not the falling down. It's the staying down. Is that what it is? There's a, yeah. There's it's, a. It's, I forget who said it. It's how you get up the how quickly you get up that counts. Right. That kind of thing. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's it, and I mean I do I fear failure? I mean yeah sure. I mean I feel fear fear failure all the time. But the 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 thing you have to remember is with anything um, that the people who are incredibly good at it and a hundred times better than you at one time didn't do whatever it is they're doing. You know, the guy, Dan Winters at one time didn't take portrait photographs, right? He became that good. He aspired to take portraits. Yeah. Yeah. And he got that good. So, you know, if you say, Oh, I'm not good enough. I don't know if I could ever, I, you know, I couldn't go take pictures of Tom Hanks. You know, I couldn't deal with like an A-list celebrity. Well, you know what? There was a day that, that, that Dan Winters walked into his first time shooting an A-list celebrity. Sure. And he was probably terrified. He was probably pooping his pants, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, so what, what you're saying is you, you get knocked down, but you get up again. Well, you know, and, think, think about it. And, think about it. in something somebody's got does more often. Think about, uh, you know, your, your first day of freshman year of high school, right? You know, when you're like terrified cause you're like, Oh my God, there's all these seniors and you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, you know what? All of everybody goes through that. And you know what? People survive because the chances of dying in that situation are, are very low. <laughs> I, I don't think I ever thought I would die. You don't understand but, what I'm saying. Yeah, like there's, yeah. there's that terror, you know, yeah. like, oh, sh- I, you know, oh, I'm going to college. Oh, that's scary for whatever, sure. you know. And but you realize that there have been hundreds of millions of people who have gone to college. So, right, right. It can't be well, that you know, hard. You, you said something to me yesterday when we were talking about uh, Nikki, my partner, Nikki, is uh, moving into food photography, which I think she's got a natural aptitude at food photographers are hot yeah <laughs> but she's terrified you know it's it's and there are a number of different things that are you know that are that are terrifying to her uh and you said look you know every food, food photographer started out as not being a food photographer yeah you know and i told her that and she was like yeah okay then i guess i guess yeah you got i guess that's true i guess that's true <laughs> yeah uh, but then I told her you thought food photographers were hot, and then she was on board. So I, it, no, but the, but look, that's it's true, right? This is a this is a truism, as it were. Yes, you know. Yes. Um, d- d- am I am I scared to do this thing in December? No, I'm kind of excited. But I've done the kind of stuff that I'm doing here before. If you told me that instead of doing conceptual portraits, I was I don't know. Taking, You've got to make a short film, yeah. And it's going to be competing against. People who've exactly. been doing this for years. Exactly. Well, you know what? Then I'd be scared. Right. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, if somebody was telling me I had to do aerial photography or something. I've never shot out of a helicopter. I've never been in a helicopter. These are all, you know, these are, these are scary things on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that people, people need to put that all into perspective. And yeah, there's always fear of the unknown. And there's always fear of failure. But, you know, you're born, you live, and then you die. So right. if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. Right. 
And and look, I I, I am I am I'm preaching to myself right now because I'm terrified of I I am I am paralyzed by a fear that I am not good enough. You know, that I I if I send my pictures out, if I send my portfolio out to some new editor or whatever it is, I'm constantly like staring at the email and then clicking through the links and looking at the images that I sent them and thinking, "Oh my god, are they going to laugh at my images?" Yeah. Or should I should I have sent this instead of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does, does this image define me as a photographer? Exactly. Oh, yeah. man, you know, the stuff that's on my website, like, oh, it, you know, it's in random. So what if it comes up with that picture as the first one? Right. You know, it's like, well, you know what? Like, you can't – at a certain point, you have to just suck it up because not every, every, everyone wasn't good at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not all of us can be Dan Winters because – if you if it was only Dan Winters, then no one would new would ever come up because there are new people coming up all the time, and it's not because they're better than the people who are older than them. It's that they're different, you know. Right. And maybe your view of this thing is different, and maybe it's not as refined as the guy who's been doing it for fifty years. It shouldn't be. How could it possibly be as refined as the person who's been doing it for fifty years? You've been doing it for ten or right. for five, in my case, or whatever, right? Yeah. Um. It's 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 funny the things that that we let become barrier you know barriers to moving forward or even trying something and yeah. I I do the same thing you know I'm never going to be Robert Rauschenberg ever right and so I go well so what's the point well why would you want to be really <laughs> there's a big gap between you know uh, not doing anything and Robert Rauschenberg <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> I mean there, there's an enormity of possibilities between those two things, but right. I somehow have resigned in my head. What's the point? Right. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it is, it is, it's a, it's a fantasy, a negative fantasy, you know, your, your belief that, and then, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, you go in you're shooting this thing for the magazine. Oh, it's my, look, I've, I had my first shoot for a magazine and I was terrified. I was like, you know, so nervous I couldn't see straight. Yeah. And now I go in to shoot for a magazine and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you dropped your 50 going in. Exactly. <laughs> my 50? Didn't you drop your 50 going my into 40? a shoot one time? Oh, I dropped my 50 millimeter lens going in to shoot <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell, yeah. That was bad. <laughs> Haven't I Oops. told that story before? I think so. Okay. Um, you see what I'm saying? That, yeah, like absolutely. That, that, any, anything that you have passed looks terrifying to people on the other side. Right. You know, um, it's, I always think about that in video games <laughs> and this is, sounds really silly, but you know, let's say you're playing, what's something everyone's played super Mario brothers. Right. And you Good know, game. you, you get through the first level, the first, you know, one, one, and you go down to one, two and it drops you down into the basement. Yeah. Right. And you're like, oh my God, now I'm in the basement. Ah, this is scary. Because it's your first time there. You right. Know? And 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 the but after your two hundredth playthrough trying to get all the coins. Exactly. You're, <laughs> you're just like, like oh, oh, here we are again. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And even you get to the end and you get, you know, to the, the who's the bad guy? Bruiser, King Koopa, I don't know, whatever his name is, right? Um or, or or in Zelda, you know, you get to the first guy to get the, like, piece of the Triforce or whatever. Right, right, right. And you, like, kill the first guy and you get the first Triforce. You're like, oh, my God, I won. I won, I won. And then you, like, think about it later and you're like, 
it was like one guy I had to like shoot once with a yeah. you know, like this and was, you still got 40 hours left to go. Exactly. Like that <laughs> that but to somebody who has just started the game, those situations are terrifying because they've never experienced them before. They haven't gotten past them. They don't realize that there's life beyond that. When when you first life when beyond you first, failure. Yeah, life beyond failure. <laughs> there you go. Uh, is there life beyond failure? When you first did that that magazine shoot or that client shoot, and you you connected not only to your subject, hopefully, but your camera as a vehicle for expressing yourself. Yeah, like a Corvette. Uh, yeah. yeah. Was that empowering? Was that a, yeah. Was that an empowering moment, or was that one of the terrifying moments? How how did you come away from from that first? experience because there i think there are some people and probably a lot of people out there who maybe are in that that mode of oh, oh shit am i in the right mode am i focused am i you know am, is my white balance okay is my iso okay rather than allowing themselves to experience that moment sure how did that go for you well first of all i mean if you're at the level where you're doing shoots like that you mm-hmm. should have shot enough now that you're not really thinking about those technical things all that much, you know, or rather for, in my case, there are times when I've messed up and I'm taking pictures. And I'm like, why is this not working? And then I realize that I'm at ISO 800 because that's what I last shot at yesterday or whatever. Sure. But, and then but you make a that, stupid mistake, but beyond that. Yeah. All that practice. I mean, it's, it's sort of the violinist who has been playing since he or she was four, but now is in their first, now you know, get on orchestra situation. Yeah, it doesn't matter that you've been practicing for 17 years. You know, you're going to forget the little things. For me, the 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 initial like once I pick up my camera in any kind of situation like that, I'm no longer nervous. Like once okay. I pick up the camera and snap off a couple shots and realize that oh, look, that person in front of me is coming through onto the screen, mm-hmm. then I'm fine it's it's like that my nerves disappear because it's like now I'm, we're in the moment i i've done this hundreds of times before okay you know maybe a thousand times before by so now. maybe like a like a musician or a singer they play those first few bars or sing those first few bars and yeah here we are they're... this is the comfort zone yeah right? this, okay. is, this is what i do uh so i think i think part of what made that good for me is doing things like 365 portraits cuz i shot so much so many people so many times that like that just becomes muscle memory mm-hmm. uh, i find it if i go into a shoot and it's and you know you get past the nerves and it's going well and i know that i have good stuff on the card i find it extremely exhilarating like high beyond highs yeah uh it's okay. it's a serious buzz uh, and that's, I mean, that is a big reason why I do what I do, right? Is you get, I, you know, you get these giddy moments. The people who know me well or have seen me shoot or have shot with me a bunch of times, like, they'll know, like, when I am, when I've got it, I actually, I like giggle, like, <laughs> you know, nice. because I know that it's there, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that, I know that I've been successful and therefore all of the pressure's off me. So anything else going on is, going forward is butter, you know, it's, it's gravy. Right. Um, uh, but it, so so when I when it works and when I connect, I I have, I have a very sort of manic depressive personality. I'm either on top of the world or the world is on top of me. Uh, so in those situations, I'm def I I walk out and I'm just like, 
like, come on, sucker. Like, who do I shoot now? Like, who's right. next? Who's next? Yeah. You know, okay. it's definitely like, where's Obama? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, it, there's, there's, I mean, I'm not saying that, but there's that, that emotion. Right. You know, and it's, it's funny cause I was, I was discussing this with, uh, for a minute after, um, I saw a dance recital a few months ago and, um, my friend Francisco was sitting a couple seats down from me and it, it, it finished up and he's a dancer for Paul Taylor. He's a good friend of mine, a uh, photographer as well. And, um, I said, you know, you know that we, we were standing up after the show and I said, you know, that feeling you get after a show when you're on a high and you're like, let's do it again. Like, you know, he just want more and more and more. Right. right. Um, he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, that's awesome. And I said, yeah, but why can't we have that before gigs? Like, why can't we hold on to that between episodes? You know, you go to sleep, you come back to do the show the next day. You're probably going to be nervous again before the show. It's like you have to prove yourself to yourself each and every time. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Like Uh, somehow you, in the last 24 to 48 hours, you've forgotten or you've unlearned everything that you've learned. Yes. Now I, I don't, I doubt that, to use our constant companion in this discussion, Dan Winters, you know, going to shoot somebody now is terrified that he's going to get good stuff. I think he's probably terrified that he's going to get something that moves his art forward. Mm -hmm. And some days he's not, you know, the stuff you see on his website is the stuff he wants you to see on his website. You're not seeing everything he shoots. There's probably a lot of stuff there that he's just like, eh, that looks like that thing I took of so-and-so back and went. Well, and with, with, with what you do portraiture, Mm -hmm. You're dealing with, I mean, let's let's take the mechanics of the camera and the mechanics of the light and and all that kind of stuff. Lots out. of variables. Yeah, let's take that out. Uh, you're dealing with personalities. You're dealing with yeah. what kind of day you're having. Yep. And you're trying to mesh that with what kind of day your subject's having. Yeah. Who may or may not want to be there? If you're shooting someone who is. Uh, a celebrity or something, they may be there at the behest of their publicist. They may not want to be there. If you're shooting someone who is, uh, you know, maybe uh, the, the kids are sick, uh, the job's not going well. Yep. Uh, yep. There are so many variables, but you have to get the picture. Well, there's also the, the, the variable of, I mean, yeah, yes, all of those things are true. There's also the variable of how photogenic the person is. Mm-hmm. I was having a discussion. I, I sat down with a makeup artist friend of mine last week, and and I haven't seen her in a long time. And we were talking about it because she's all doing all this high fashion stuff now, but she also does some corporate work and that kind of stuff. But the stuff on her on her uh, her portfolio is these gorgeous photographs of these absolutely gorgeous, like you know, sixteen year old Russian women. You know, I mean, they're like you know, right. th- those kinds of models. You know, huge lips, huge eyes, flawless skin. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, do you prefer to work where your you know your your starting point is at ninety percent and getting them up to ninety eight percent, or do you prefer working with somebody who's at fifty percent and getting them to eighty five percent? And um, what was her response? And she says she basically said that you know they're they're very different and that she enjoys doing both, but you know there's the there's the person who is the fifty percent and they say why don't I look like ninety eight percent? It's like well you're not Heidi Klum, <laughs> you know. Right. You're never, no matter what I do, I can't make you look like Heidi Klum. I can make you look better than you look, or I can make you look as good as you can look, but there are limitations, right? You know, I am never going to look like Denzel Washington. 
I'm a white guy. He's a black guy. It's never going to happen. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure. You know, so like just there are, there are physical limitations of these things, you know? Um, did so, you happen to watch as a, just as an aside, you were talking about being photogenic. Uh, did you happen to watch the, the capture episode, uh, with Mark Seliger with uh, Alan Cumming on it? Uh, I have not. Okay. He, at one point, Alan is talking about people tell him you're very photogenic. And, and while most people think of that as a compliment, he just thinks that it means he looks like shit in real life. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, like, that's true. Like you're a disappointment in real life, but on film, you look great. Well, you know? there, there are those people who look like crap in real life who look great on pictures. There's the opposite. People who look great in real life who you can't really capture well on film. And then there's the people who are the obvious, like, oh, they don't look really good in real life and they really are hard to photograph and the people who are beautiful and are easy, you know. There are right. four quadrants and I have yet to find any like uh, a substantial correlation between them. Uh, they're uh, all over the place. What is, what is your, I mean, your, your photos are, you've described them before as honest. You try and, you try and capture an honest moment. Yeah, I do. Which, which, is, whatever that means. Is folly. Yeah. Whatever, <laughs> whatever that means. Yeah. Um, there, 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 I want to talk about this, this connection versus coercion a little bit. We've kind of, we've kind of talked about this for a couple of weeks and never, never gotten to it. Okay. Um, you really try to connect with a subject. Yes. To get a shot. Yep. And that's, that's one way of doing it. Um, this sort of coercion way is, is doing whatever it takes to get the shot. Yes. Whether it's uh honest or disingenuous or or whatever because ultimately it's about the image. Yeah. Is one more valid than the other? More valid. Well, that's not the question I was expecting you to ask. Um what were you expecting? Just more of a what are your thoughts about that? More valid oh, that's a value judgment. That's difficult. Yeah. Um well we we tackle the deep stuff here. I okay. I think that I think that coercion can lead to some really amazing photographs mm-hmm. in, 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 in just taking it in the field of photography, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's coercion in general can do all kinds of things, right, but right. we're just talking about like how, how can it affect no, pictures within the confines of photography is, right. is, is coercion is, is doing something there's, there's okay. Let, let me, let's put it in, in kind of context for some of the listeners. Uh, there's a very famous set of photographs by Jill Greenberg who produces some really great work. Um, of crying children. And in order to get these shots, uh, the children were given candy and then the candy was taken away and they started crying. Yes. And, you know, they were told you're never getting the candy again. And so in, in that respect, it was an honest response on behalf of the children to not getting, you know, candy or lollipops yeah. or whatever. But it was a f- sort of coercion on the part of Jill to get the shot. Uh, those particular images I think are disgusting. Okay. I think that that's because awful. of the way they were achieved. Uh, or, I, or, I personally don't like the idea of crying babies period. And I don't want to see that. Okay. Um, the, so I, that's kind of an emotional response to the subject matter. Then. It is, but there's also, if it, you know, if that is in fact how she did it, I think that that's terrible. Okay. I think that that, well, cause they're kids, you know, this sure. is like, sure. that's just, that's just, that's just, morally wrong in my opinion okay um but you know there's also the the avidon picture right of the 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 prince edward yeah prince edward and yeah um where what he he came and and he said that he he was late because he hit a dog or saw a dog dead on the side of the road or something 
Yeah, they, they, the, he, the, the whole story goes that, that he, was, he would go to the casino in Nice and watch them and, and see the way they interacted with people. And by the time he got them to the hotel room to shoot them, they, they were very different. He said that they were just putting on their best sort of publicity smiles and, and he wanted a, an honest portrait. And they had these pug dogs with them that yep. they were obviously very attached to. Uh, and he said that uh, you know that he's sorry he was late, uh, but his taxi hit a ca- hit a hit a cab. <laughs> his taxi hit a cab. His taxi hit a dog on the way to the shoot, and their faces dropped. And that's the photo that you, you know that's become kind of the famous photo from that shoot, uh, because that was their honest reaction to to hearing this. Right. Um, so yes, it, it, on the one hand, it was an it's an honest portrait. But the method of getting there may not have been. I think that the Avedon one is – I personally wouldn't do that, but that one is like morally defensible, you know? Okay. Because it, in the sense that you have people who are designed from birth to have walls up. These are, okay. these are royals. These are like people who – I mean I guess the same could be made of famous celebrities and things. You know, you're shooting Tom Cruise. You're going to get the Tom Cruise Tom Cruise wants you to get. Absolutely. You know, um, I personally wouldn't do that. Uh, I think th- here the problem with, with that kind of line of working is this. I want people to like me after we're done. Okay. I want, I want to, if, if, you know, I shot Prince Edward, the next time I go see Prince Edward, I want him to be like, Hey Bill, nice to see you again. Right. You know, this I had such a good time last time. Let's do it again. Right, and maybe right. we're going to do even better this time because you're even more comfortable because we've been through it once. Not hello, dog killer. <laughs> exactly. Know, I, right. Yeah. Where where I feel like if you play these kinds of games, you may get what you want now, but you you are poisoning the well for the next time. Okay. And my I have a personal thing that has nothing to do with photography where I want people to like me. Sure. Well, so, and there there are those photographers. I mean, you've got Brian Smith, for example, who is by all accounts beloved by everybody he's ever shot, you know, right. and and continues to get sittings with people who are otherwise very difficult to get sittings with. And and part of it is because of his reputation of being just a nice guy and the way right. he gets, you know, I mean, he's a fantastic photographer, but it's also in his demeanor. Right. I I would much rather build a relationship with somebody than manipulate the relationship to get what I want. But that's across my entire career in many times to the de- in deference to my career. Right. Um, those people are probably much smarter people. They're playing all Sun Tzu art of war. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just not that conniving. And I think, I think of it as a little conniving. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just, I go back and forth for, for me. I think that you're going to ultimately get something. The pictures that I really love, um, the pictures that I really love that I've taken of people are when things were really clicking between us. When, when there was this, this, I'm going to get all pseudoscience metaphysical, which I don't really believe in, but there's like, there was this circle of energy between us. Like we were in a bubble together. Sure. You know, uh, where there was, there was some sort of, uh, uh, well, you know what? Okay. Let me back up actually, because the problem with my argument is that I flirt with my subjects. 
Okay. The way that I get what I get. I mean, do I really want to be best friends with this CEO guy? No, I don't really want to be best friends with him, but I'm, I'm genuinely interested in what he's saying, but I, but I am trying to, uh, woo them. You know? So you are trying to elicit some sort of response or, or dictate a direction. Yes, but I'm doing it much more of a, uh, I was going to say underhanded cause I'm kind of pushing them by their butt. You know, it's mm-hmm. more of a, Hey, well, why don't we, you know, put my hand on their shoulder. Hey, why don't we come into this room? It's more of that kind of thing than get in that freaking room or I'm going to, you know, shoot right. your dog, you know, right. like maybe that, maybe that gets a certain look, but I don't think that it ends up being that interesting, but some could argue that mine is just as disingenuous. I guess. Do you, do you find yourself doing some sort of research before you have a sitting? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. But, but almost always it's research. I mean, I want facts. I want to know where they grew up or where they went to school or that kind of stuff. So if there's a lull in conversation, I have something to talk about, you know, Hey, you went to school in Philadelphia. Do you ever go back there? You know, like whatever it is. Right. Uh, but you're striving for some sort of connection, not just an end product. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right. I, I think that the end product comes from the connection, not the other way around. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, I mean, it's just, a, it's a different, there are, there are different ways of working and there are some people that look at it and go, look, I'm here to get the shot. I don't care how I get it. Yes. And, and those people, that's fine. I just, yeah. I just, uh, my work is very much related to my life and, and you know, the way I live my life and I live my life in, in a way that I want, I want people to like me. I want to, I want to be respected and not just for my work, but for being a good person. So you know, the idea of making babies cry by taking their candy away so I can get a picture of a crying baby that I can sell for thousands of dollars. That's gross to me. You know, do you, do you look at photographs in your work, in your own body of work that you didn't connect or that can you pick out the photographs that were bad experiences? Yeah, but I don't know if the average person could. Okay, so so the bad experience becomes uh, more of a personal experience to you, not necessarily how the photograph turned out. Right, but at the same time, I've had very few really bad experiences. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I generally have good experiences with people. Um, well, it sounds like because that's that's kind of the priority going in. Yes, almost uh, almost more than um, the photograph. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because it's so deep in your personality, right? Exactly. I want to have the relationship, and if the good pictures come out of it, then all the better, right? Um, Interesting. It's, it's. I don't know. It's, it, you know, and there's plenty of pictures from other people that I may look at and think, uh, and and love some portrait, and it may be that they use all these manipulative techniques, and I just don't know it. You know, mm-hmm. might be that Dan Winters, you know said something really terrible to Tom Hanks right before that picture. We have right. no idea. We weren't there. Sure. Uh I just I think that people it's it you can get you can get people to love you out of fear and you can get them to love you out of respect. You know, they can get them to respect you out of fear and you can get them to respect you out of love. I'd rather have them respect me out of love. Mhm. You know, between the two. I'm not I'm not I'm not that guy. There are people that guy, you know, and more power to him. 
you know, there, there's plenty of room for those guys and there are plenty of them out there. Sure. Um, no, I just, I, I just thought it was an interesting kind of it is. way of looking at it uh, because they're, they're so different. Yeah. Uh, and both have yielded and will continue to yield really amazing photographs. Yep. Um, you know, me just kind of starting out on this on this journey of taking portraits. Uh, I I don't know where I'll land. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, eh, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, for me, you know, for other people, I mean, there's 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 small things, you know, and then there's big things, you know. There's, you know, what's his name grabbing the cigar out of uh, Churchill's mouth, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you get that gruff shot. Was that? Was it Karsh? Eh, it might have been. Anyway, you know that that kind of stuff. Okay, I would, I personally would never do that. <laughs> right. So there, it's it's coercion in degrees. Yeah. You know, maybe when I become a yeah. big fancy photographer, I will have the balls to do that. I just don't have them now. Yeah. Um. Hey, no, you, see, you, good. Let's do a quick uh, rad lab thing. Totally rad. Hey, if you missed, uh, totally rad just had a, a really pretty fantastic uh, sale, thirty five percent off on everything. But sadly, it's over. Like all good things, it had to come to an end. But, but, uh, you can still save fifteen percent, and we we love their stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of Rad Lab. I use it all the time. We've released recipe packs. Um, to, uh, Pro Retouch is their retouching set of retouching actions, which are really great. And uh, if you're interested, you can save fifteen percent on Totally Rad products. Head over to uh, Get Totally Rad. Use the coupon code 1435OTP or follow the link in the show notes and you can save 15% on anything. Yep. And it helps. I mean, and, and whatever you use, they, they've amped presets for Lightroom, which are great. Mm-hmm. They, you can still get Totally Rad 1, Totally Rad 2, their set of actions. Um, Rad Lab is a brand new way of, of retouching. It's all visual, it's intuitive. Uh, you can create recipes, share them, save them, you know, fast. Good stuff. We like RadLab. Yes. RadLab's a good piece of software. Yep. And crazy that it's, you know, it's Doug Boutwell in there banging out code. Well, I like the idea that it's like a family business. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. They're, they're, they're good people and they make good products and we like to support them. Yes. So uh, 1435 OTP will save you 15% on Totally Rad products. Thanks for their support. Uh, hey, you want to talk about this? Uh, we got an email from uh, who did we get to meet? Michael McNiff. Michael McNiff. Thank did, you, Michael, for writing in. What did it say? Uh, Michael writes, "Many thanks for a wonderful podcast. It's like being part of a great conversation with intelligent and witty friends." He must he's not, not listen at all. He's not talking about us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he. Uh, said uh, there's a great interview with Joel Meyerowitz over at the Candid Frame, which, yes, great interview. Go listen. Uh, also, there's an alternative reaction to Hero Dreams of Sushi, which we've talked about a couple times, uh, at a lesser photographer, which I, th- I think we've mentioned a lesser photographer on the show, haven't we? Um, we've mentioned a lot of lesser photographers. But <laughs> <laughs> wow, there it is. <laughs> and... <sighs> <laughs> Remember, Sorry. that's bill at billwadman.com. <laughs> uh, this, so th- this post is called The Folly of Hero. Mm-hmm. And there, in, in, in one part of it, he says, the devotion to the work came at a great cost to the families of Hero and Pressfield. In fact, Hero's children didn't recognize him when he spent some very rare time at home one day. Uh, it's tragic, not inspiring. 
as noble as you may believe your pursuit of excellence is, it means nothing if you go home at night to people who do not recognize you or do not want you around. Okay. Um, you want to you wanna take a stab at this? I want to hear your stab first. Okay. Uh, there, there, there is something about being married to your work, but at the cost of those around you, that, that, that's a, that's a judgment call. That's, I don't know that I'm that single minded where I cannot, actually, I do know that. I do know that I'm not that single minded where I, where I can throw myself into something 24 seven at the behest of, you know, say Nikki or, or, you know, my friendship with you or, or whatever. I don't think I can do that, but then there's that, that sort of itch at the top of your mouth where you go, should I be doing this? Right. Should you be doing more work? You mean? Yes. Should I be sitting here playing video games? Should I be going for a walk? Should I, should I instead be home working through whatever creative problem I think I need to be working through. Um, okay. You, you want me to comment? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Jump in anytime. I, th- this is very much a judgment call, right? Yes. Um, this is what you want out of your life. There's an argument to be made that says, you know what? If hero knew that this is what he wanted from his life, that maybe he shouldn't have had a family. Yes. Yeah, sure. You know, like if you know the the way out of this is to not have the family and therefore you can't disappoint the family. You know. Yeah, I mean at that point isn't isn't there an obligation if if you have the family isn't there an obligation to the family? Yeah, but the the flip side of that is there there it can, it can easily swing the other way where because of the family's because of your relationships, you're not doing what you want in your life. And that makes you a more miserable person. And that's, that degrades the relationship, right? I mean, there, this is, this is a, this is a huge gray black to white with lots of gray in the middle. Absolutely. Gate scale. Yeah. Um, famously, famously, uh, if you go watch that interview with Richard Avedon by Charlie Rose, which is a great interview, I think mm-hmm. it's during that interview. It's in some interview right around there, and I'm 99% sure it's Avedon in that interview. Um, he basically says, you know, did you have any regrets? Because this is, you know, towards the end of his life. And Avedon said, if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't have had a family. That you you can't you can't do work and family, each of them as well as you should do. You can't, you're going to do both of them half-assed basically is right. what he was saying. Right. And that he almost wishes he didn't have the burden of having had to think about his family. Now, right. there's all kinds of other stuff going on there because some people said that Avedon, Avedon was probably gay and maybe that's why he didn't want a family in the end. Who knows, right? You know, there's all kinds of reasons. But, but it's an interesting argument and something that I thought of ever since I've seen that interview. And mm-hmm. there were years in my, in my adult life when I was not in any sort of relationship and sort of, it was a very, um, I saw it as a strangely noble concession to say, I care so much about what I do 
that I'm not going to be in a relationship because that will only detract from it. So I, I'm, I'm willing to forego anything beyond the work. Yes. And somehow find nobility in that. Yeah. And I don't, and I still, even now that I am in a relationship, I still don't necessarily think that that is an evil point of view. I, I don't think it's evil. I, I think, I think this, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I just think you need to resign yourself to, to, to the consequences of that. You need to accept whatever side of the fence you end up landing on, uh, know that that was a decision that you made. And that you may not be able to go back. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that there is, I think that there is, there's a happy medium somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that your work and your non-work lives, again, you only have one go around. You're born, you live, you die. And you make the choices of how you want to live your life. And and there, there's an argument to be made that that your working and your non-working lives need to inform each other, and and that your work should inspire your relationships, and your relationships should inspire your work. Sure, I know that you know living with somebody now, uh, I am overall a much happier person. I'm 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 depressed less. Mm-hmm. I love you know, eating dinner with Heather. I love getting into bed at night and it's warm in the winter time. You know, sure. like there, there are, there are definitive sort of uh, advantages to, to being in a relationship. Do I have, do I use as much time making stuff as I did before I was in a relationship? Uh, arguably not. But if I did, then I would, I, do I feel like I'd be ignoring her? Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Is that to the point where it's a problem? Well, I, I think then you get into a question of efficiency. You know, are you using the time you're working as efficiently as you could? Because a lot of times there's a lot of wasted time. Mm-hmm. And if you just worked smarter, you might actually be okay. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely the argument for, for you know, working smarter. But the, the benefit... That's well, all about balance, right? Yep. You know, and uh, you and I have very similar personalities, and I I find that with Nikki in my life, those swings of the pendulum are much less frequent and much less severe. Yes, I agree. And I'll take that trade off. I I feel the same way with Nikki in my life, <laughs> <laughs> and she with you. Uh, <laughs> I, so I, I guess, you know, he, he's not incorrect that that, that is a cost. Mm-hmm. However, the other flip side of it is that, okay, they may not – okay, I think it might be strong to say they didn't recognize him, you know. But there's Are also – Are you talking about Avedon's kids? I'm talking about Hero in this oh, case, Hero. right? Oh, okay, Hero, yeah, yeah. That, that there's also the, the statement you're, the, you're showing your children – by example and if your example is he is so in love with his work that he's almost enraptured with it in this way that is that is a much better example than oh well you know what daddy wasn't a famous sushi chef oh he just worked at this office and went nine to five and was miserable at the end of the day Mm -hmm. there's that too you know i mean yeah 
He might not have seen him much, but his kids probably knew that he really loved what he did. And that says something. And there, there is value in that. Sure. I think so. Yeah. It's a balancing act, right? Yep. I mean, that's, that's, that's the end result is, is it's, yes, you, you want to show that you're in love with what you do. You want to show that you've, that you're passionate about what you do, but from his kids standpoint, there is, you know, dad's more concerned with making a spring roll than, you know, coming and spending time with me. Yeah. But what a spring roll. <laughs> no oh, yeah sure sure <laughs> uh, I, I you know um you could see both an artist like hero or uh, you know a visual artist or whatever and you could say you know what the thing that they're going to leave when they die uh is their work and their children you know mm-hmm. and and for some people what they leave after they die because they don't have a work that inspires them in some way is their children. And I think some of those people will look at somebody who really sees their work as their legacy to be selfish or to be wrong. Right. And I think that that is a, I think that that's an unfair assessment. Well, you yeah. It becomes a judgment call on behalf of the children too. Yep. You know, dad or mom was was more proud, more in love, more pleased, you know, insert yep. whatever whatever criteria you want with their work than they were of me. Yeah. But the flip side of that is how many people did some famous author say who sat around writing all day long and didn't talk to their kids? Maybe they inspired hundred thousand other people, you know, in the world. Yeah. So, so you're, okay. you're saying it's an issue of the greater good. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just saying that like, you there's, know. there's, there's an argument to be made that, so okay, he worth... didn't inspire his own kids, but maybe he inspired tens of thousands of other kids. Right. How many people did Avedon inspire to pick up a camera versus if he was just a great dad, what would have come out of that? Right. Okay. You know, there's an argument to be made there. I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that it's not black or white. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not necessarily wrong in a true moral sense that hero worked a lot and his kids didn't see him much. Right. Maybe he was a total jerk in his personal life and it was, his kids were better off not having him. We don't know. You're making, (laughs) you're making a judgment that time spent with their, their father would have been amazing in some way. We don't know. And maybe it's not. Right. I don't know. Anyway, interesting little article, but I, you know, and it's, and we'll put that Avedon link in there too. Because it's it's a it's a really good interview and you should watch it. There's yeah, a lot it of good is. Charlie Rose interviews with a bunch of artists and stuff. There's a good. I like, um, I like Charlie Rose. Yeah, there's a Platon one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, you you want to buy that uh, Leica? I do. I was thinking you could loan me a little money. <laughs> well, let me sell my Joel Meyerowitz print that I bought <laughs> for two point one nine million dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so apparently Picasso, maybe, what the, what they believe to be Picasso's Leica uh, just sold for $2.19 million. No, he's, he was used by a photographer who documented Picasso. Okay. So not even whatever. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. D- David it, it Douglas cool, Duncan. $2 million? I don't know. Yeah, that's a little high. You know, the... the, the these, it's funny that the, these cameras have become these fetish objects like that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that the, the camera that made the famous picture is itself famous. 
Yeah, it, it's weird, right? That's like buying one of Picasso's brushes. Is that right, happen? Right. It's got to happen, here, right? Here, here are the paint tins that he used. Yeah. You, you realize that his talent doesn't come with those things, right? <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's sort of that meta world, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the uh, that's the uh, we're we're not talking about the art anymore. We're talking about the art around the art, or the right, you know, the world right. around this- the art. Sort of ephemera that surrounds it. Right. And who who gives a crap? You know, like, yeah. why does that matter? Um, it's interesting, though. Really interesting. Uh, it, and, you know, hopefully my Leica M4 will someday be worth that kind of money. Yeah, but you're right. There is this sort of weird, it's almost a sub, this sort of fetish sub economy. Yeah, it's totally fetish. That has arisen. It's a creepy and it's, fetish, too. It's a what? It's creepy. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't yeah. know. It's very strange. I, it's it doesn't interest me all that much. I mean, it's it's interesting. Look, I take that back. If if somebody said this is Avidon's camera and here you can hold it for a minute, here's his Rolly or whatever he used. Hasselblad? What did, what did Avidon Rolly? Both, I believe. Okay. Didn't you use both? Okay. Yeah. Here's 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 Avidon's camera. You want to hold it for a minute? Sure. Yeah, that would be cool. Um. But then I I would always be afraid that like they would go psych. I just picked that up at a yard sale. Well, and that's <laughs> and that's the argument, right? That this is just one big giant like kerfuffle. This is this is an illusion, yeah. another fantasy, uh, a positive fantasy that yeah, this could imbue you in some way. Look, you know, I have my Leica. How often do I actually shoot with it? Well, you know, who knows? Maybe my Leica was you know used by Gary Winogrand back in the day. I have no idea. Right. He used M4s. It, Maybe he bought it, didn't like it, gave it away to his friend or. You know, he lost it at a cafe and somebody picked it up and sold it to this guy. Who knows? I mean, I, I, I suppose I get the allure. But if somebody said, look, you can either have, you know, Avedon's Roly or you can have this this signed print of Dovima, you know, in the elephants or something. I, I, I think. <laughs> Robert Duano. Robert Duano. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I'd, <laughs> I'd rather have the print. Yeah, me too. You know, I, I I would rather have the result of of his creativity and his genius, and and insert anybody here. I'd rather have one of one of Meyerowitz's prints because I think that would inspire me more than the hardware that 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 happened to be there catching it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Especially if it's just, I mean, this is a mass manufactured camera. It's not like oh, this one was handmade by Robert Duano. <laughs> Right. You know, like, okay, well, this is the one of a kind, whatever. Okay. Well then you're making an argument, but sure. This, is, this kind of stuff is like, oh, great. Look, it's another 5D Mark three. Yeah. Yeah. Big deal. I don't know. Hey, uh, photographer of the week. You like this guy? Uh, uh, yeah, this is another guy that I didn't know. Uh, but I am, I am happier now to know him. Uh, Nadar. Nadar. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Nadar. No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, French photographer from 1820 to 1910. 90 year old guy. Old school. Uh, Very and, old school. And he was a portrait photographer in Paris, had this studio uh, which was incredibly famous. Uh, because he was he was like the guy in his age to go get your picture taken by. So he had this crazy studio, and I'll put a link in the show notes, with like his name and script on the front in red, like yeah. on the front of this studio building. And apparently, 
um, apparently he, his, his, he, he was like the first sort of, uh, mass market photographer that, that he created a name for himself in a way that people wanted to come to him. Like he was the first celebrity photographer. Right. In many kind ways. of a rock star. Yeah. In the day. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you, ooh, you, you know, you're going to get your portrait taken. Well, you have to go to Nadar at his studio. Right. Um, and then if you had this portrait, if someone came into your home and saw this Nadar portrait, you your cool. sort of street cred just yeah. went up. And the people he shot were crazy. I mean, uh, Jules Verne, Franz Liszt, uh, Alexander Dumas, like who, who else? Uh, Delacroix, Doré, yeah. Sarah Bernhardt. Like crazy, crazy people. Uh, so it's, it's to look at this stuff. I mean, it was all, uh, 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 sunlit studio in this, you know, beautiful Paris street. Um, and the pictures are very simple in many ways, right? Cause these are, this is, this is 1860s. So this right. is, you know, nuts kind of early, still early on where people had to sit still for a few seconds. Right. Um, and very few of them looking into the camera. Yeah, I think maybe that was so they didn't blink. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, well, that's more painting like, you know, I guess maybe. Mm-hmm. Although some of them feel very painterly. Uh, some amazing, amazing pictures in there. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but he has some interesting little trivia with him. Nadar uh, opened up his photo studio and let a group of painters run their first exhibition there. And that group of painters were the Impressionists. So see, that's you amazing. Know, Monet, Renoir, yeah. He photographed Bizarro. Victor Hugo on his deathbed. Yeah, wow. this this guy is is got around. He's been around. You know what I mean? And I he, like the little three sixty animated GIF. Yeah, yeah. Shot a, he shot a three hundred sixty degree portrait of himself, a series of portraits. Uh, so it's sort of the the, the, the as, first animated GIF, <laughs> as Jeffrey says, the first animated GIF. Right. I think we should all do one of those. That's, That's pretty funny, right? It is kind of cool. Uh, so this guy has been around, I think that self portrait of him up in the right hand corner is genius though. Kind of, kind of leaning on his hand. Yeah. Yes. With his, yeah. his, his chin, he's just, he looks very serious. They call yeah. me Nadar. <laughs> yeah. No, that's totally it. Right. Um, what is your name, sir? They yeah. Call me Nadar. Yeah. Uh, apparently he also <laughs> took, he, he took, he was the first person to take aerial photographs out of a balloon. Uh, he made this giant balloon. He also used artificial light in photography working in the catacombs in Paris. He was the first person to do that because everyone used the sun before that. Isn't that where the, like, they're all skulls and bones and yeah, whatnot? Yeah, it's amazing. If you ever get to go to the catacombs in Paris, it's definitely one of the things you want to do. Wow. Um, yeah, you, you walk down these huge stairs and it's, yeah, it's just room after room after room of piles of skulls and bones and stuff. That's wild. All stuff moved there when they had to like because of the plague and when they were rebuilding there, there were these huge mass graves from the plague. And so when they were rebuilding Paris, they had to like move them somewhere. So they like made these catacombs. Oof. It's cool stuff. Eh, no, 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 nope. 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 <laughs> hey, uh, apparently check this out. Uh, uh, when he was visiting Brussels with his giant balloon called Le Giant, Le Giant, <laughs> the giant, literally the giant. Uh, I am yeah. He he erected mobile barriers to keep the crowds at a safe distance. This is on Wikipedia. Up to this day, crowd barriers in Belgium are known as Nadar barriers. Nice. That guy's he's classic. But um yeah, this one of the original sort of portraitists like of, yeah. of this style, classical I love that Nadar was also the inspiration for the character Michael Ardan in 
Verne's from the Earth to the Moon. That's yeah. genius. I just like the idea that he's like, oh, you painter people, you guys need a place to do your little show. Okay. Um, yeah, That's a beautiful can... studio. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And, uh, and in fact, there, I was telling Jeffrey, there's a, there's a BBC four show called the impressionists. It's a four, four show series on, uh, on BBC that you can, you can find around, uh, where they're, um, they, uh, the, he, the, the host goes into Nadar's old studio and like walks around a little bit so you can see what it's like inside. And it's beautiful. Is is it still some sort of homage to his work, or is it is it now all commercial? Uh, no, I, I think it's used for something else. Like a lot of stuff in Paris, lots of famous stuff happened in these places, and now they're just like apartments and things. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was you know 150 years ago. How cool would that be, though? Yeah. To have a studio, some you know something like that. Yeah, no, it'd be totally cool. It was ridiculous. I mean, that's 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 the kind of space you would kill for nowadays. You know. It's like uh, up at the top of Avedon's house, that crazy atrium kind of thing he had mm-hmm. where he could shoot in. I mean, that's... The, the house on the cliff or whatever it was in... in was oh, that... yeah, but there's even one in town that he had a thing up on, t- up on top, mm. uh, like on the east side. Oh, I'll have to find some pictures. Um, but anyway, Nadar is photographer of the week. I'll put some links in the show notes and some links to some books on Amazon if you guys want to take a look. And it was good. Yeah, I love these portraits. Good stuff. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? No, I think we're good. Uh, uh, feedback. Where to get a hold of us? Where to find us? Yeah, what, what are the answers to those things? Where, where to send us money? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> send your checks, too. Uh, no, you can find us uh, podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Yep. Um, Bill tweets at Bill Wadman. Yep. I tweet at Jeffrey Sidoris. Should we, should we do an On Taking Pictures, like a dedicated On Taking Pictures Twitter, Twitter I like when people do the hashtag OTP. I like that, too. Uh, we, we, either know. way, either way, either way. I don't know. Uh, Up to you. We, we could do that. Uh, and uh, just one more thing to maintain. But yeah, we could do it. Yeah, we may not uh, need to. If you'd like, go uh, leave a review or yep. a rating on iTunes. Uh, we've got some pretty funny reviews up there, actually. And leave a voicemail three four seven six eight seven ninety four eleven, and we may use it on the show. Yeah. What was the, wait? What was that last good review? <laughs> Do you have it? Uh, yes. One moment, please. It's a pretty good one, Jeffrey. It's, yeah, for you. What do you mean uh, for me? It's not no, for I'm me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's, it's basically funny. saying I'm a child and you're the adult. <laughs> uh, yeah. right, I got it. I got it. The you young it? the young can relate to Bill while the old can relate to Jeffrey. <laughs> I've been saying this for years. Uh, here, This is my favorite line of the whole thing. If photography was a cafeteria, these two would be at the cool kids' table. I, I love it. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, go, go leave us a review. I, I, I tend to look at us as, like, characters on Freaks and Geeks or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? we're totally the geeks. <laughs> Want to play some D&D? Yeah. We're the AV kids. <laughs> All right. Y'all set? I am set. Thank you for listening, everyone. Yeah. Uh, I hope you enjoy it and tell your friends about us. We, we want to keep growing and, and get as many people listening to On Taking Pictures as possible. Yeah, and go take some pictures. Go take some pictures. Take more pictures. Yep. That, you know what? We should use that for something. Like a T-shirt? <laughs> Maybe. Take more fancy pictures. Yeah. Take fancier pictures. Take fancier pictures. All right. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right. Have a good week. Bye.